Rankings Top 5, a show where we rank, we list, we categorize things, whatever those things may be. We, we stack, we make four in a row. Actually, we do five in a row. Pretty sneaky. And if there's sis. four of us on there, there's 20 items. Diagonally. And if one remember, of us if is there's there, only, it's only three 15, of us, there's right? 15. And if so, I have one that's particularly good, Stephen will no sell it and make it fortune. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds about right. <laughs> a uh, uh, what is it? Uh, cannoli is not a cookie. You know what? It's My still... mom says you're all just jealous of me. <laughs> okay. Yeah, I'm sure that that's is probably it. it. So Zach yeah. is back uh, this week. Welcome back, Zach. Well, uh, thank you. Welcome to me. Still sound a little stuffy there, brother. Yeah, a little bit. You know. Gotta gotta fight the immune system one step at a time. No, you don't fight the immune system. You fight the things attacking the immune system. You let system. the immune system However, fight. However, right. <laughs> Zach is as eloquent as he's ever been. That's very true. And remember Which isn't the, the rules. No, it's not. As as an old fat man, I will tell you there are two things to avoid being sick. If you get sick, sleep for thirty six hours. Nope. And then just drink tons and tons of water. I do drink a lot of water. You will drown everything in your system. I have been drinking a lot of water. I say you when go. you have a cold, when you have a cold, you can either drink a bottle of whiskey and go to sleep for seven days, right? Or you can take a bunch of medicine and go to sleep for seven days. Right. Stephen Stephen believes the old theory that you drunk a cold, yes, and you smoke a fever. Exactly, <laughs> exactly. Hey, why don't we get into our top five list this week? Hey, it was sent in, sent in five ways to get rid of a cold. Yes, sent in from one of our listeners. Top five things in filmmaking that you would like to see go away. And then I added uh, on or reduced. Top five things this, in filmmaking that you would like to see go away or reduced. My first this one. Was so hard to narrow. I know down. it really was. Uh, my first one, though, um, my number five made it onto the list very quickly because I'm watching old seasons of Breaking Bad. Oh. And even though this isn't, uh, this is a television show, it's still a filmmaking technique that pops up again and again and again. And that's shaky cam. For shaky cam's sake, meaning there's no reason for the camera to be hovering and vibrating and bouncing around. It just does. There was one particular episode in season two where um, Jesse was walking up to a window, and the point of view is through a hole in the window in the curtain mm -hmm. looking out onto the street of Jesse, and it's shaky cam in a way, and that is giving the illusion that we're seeing it from a point of view of someone in the house. And that's totally not the case. Uh -huh. People don't know how to use the shaky cam, or if they do it, they overdo it, and they don't do it right. Mm -hmm. Only use it the way it's intended to. Shaky Which cam, to give To away. give your, your, vin your music video yes. that sheen of professionalism circa 1984. Shaky cam for shaky cam sake, or as I wrote it, Saki. Um, needs to go away. <laughs> saki, saki cam, saki, saki. saki. <laughs> Matthew, what do you have as your number five? My number five is actually less a technique, but it is a thing in filmmaking that is starting to grind on my nerves. Okay. Um, not long ago, I actually watched a movie. It's a couple of years old now, wherein Steve Carell and the girl who looks like Princess Amidala prepare for <laughs> the explosion of the planet. And it's, you know, it's my kind of movie. It's a quirky little love story and blah, blah, blah. And it ends on a really dark note. And I love that. But it seems like every third movie right now is dealing with the literal end of the world. Yeah, there's, there's that Jonah Hill movie where everybody's about to die. And then, of course, there's World's End, which thematically fits, although I don't know if it's actually, you know, a thing. But lately, it seems like every movie is about... The world is going to be destroyed by, I don't know, a, an asteroid or a, a Sharknado or, 
I don't know, uh, liberal politics, whatever it is, is literally going to destroy the planet. And while I'm, you know, I'm great with a downer ending. I love some Rod Serling. I, hell, I love some Outer Limits where the, the downer ending is not only terrible, it breaks the Aesop that you're trying to see. But having the whole world, you know, freeze to death to make a point at the end of a Rod Serling screenplay in 1962 and having to watch every other movie going, okay, we're going to blow up the planet now, too. You know, John Cusack dealt with it in 2012, and I think it kind of became a thing. Although that movie, 2012, came out in 2010, which kind of confuses me. So my number five thing that I'm kind of waiting to go away for a while is the literal end of the world as a plot point. Excellent. Rodrigo, what do you Although got? literal no longer means literal, so I... Never mind. Um, my number five, I guess, is a running time of three hours or more. Hmm. <laughs> oh, God. Oh, God. I think that movies are getting longer for no reason. I think, like, to me, the prime example of this was King Kong. There mm-hmm. are scenes in King oh, the Kong. Peter Jackson. Yeah, King the Kong. Peter Jackson King Kong that just go on and on and on and on. And I was like, it's fine. It's fine to have this scene, but it could just be shorter. Every scene in that movie could have been shorter. And it seems that nowadays it's like a benchmark. It's like your movie is not a giant epic movie unless it's three or more hours long. Right, right. Yeah. right. And I guess... I guess there's a lot of reasons for that. One is maybe studios not taking greater control over the director or giving the director too much creative control right. to allow them to do a three-hour movie. Um, shorter movies are actually better for the studio in the long run because you get more showings mm-hmm. per day. Mm-hmm. So instead of three right. showings, but you can get five showings. I think people are using it as, like Rodrigo said, as kind of a badge of honor because it goes back to that D.W. Griffith's Intolerance was originally 18 hours long. I saw it when it was like three and a half or four, and while I liked it, it really could have been, you know, you could have snapped that mofo up just a little bit, gotten a little bit more dramatic out of it. So Yeah, that's right. Cool. My number five, unsnappy mofos. <laughs> unsnappy mofos. <laughs> Zach, what do you have as your number five? My number five is another big trend that's gone on since, oh, 2009, 2010, when Avatar came out, and that's uh, 3D in movies. Mm. Um, I... I watched a couple movies in 3D. I actually watched Avatar twice because I thought it was kind of cool. And uh, and then I pretty much tried to avoid 3D movies after about the second one I watched after that. Um, it didn't really do much for me. Uh, it's kind of... And it cost more to go. And especially the fact that um, most movies tend to not be shot in stereoscopic. Mm-hmm. But in fact, they do it in post. Uh, just seems so gimmicky especially if you're not even going to do it in camera it's just like oh 3d movies are super cool right now so we're gonna post-production this 3d yeah we're gonna add some 3d and so i'm not a big fan of the 3d i i expect this will go away probably within the decade i hope Hmm. maybe not it's been been around for maybe longer than uh i thought it would be but yeah it's it's overstayed its welcome. Yeah. I agree with you on that one, Zach. Uh, I, yeah, I just go to 2D showings now because forget 3D. I, I live in 3D. You no, know, Avatar was really only the, you know, I've seen a lot of movies in 3D, 
Avatar seems to be the only movie that really worked in 3D because they yeah. made that real conscious effort right. to make sure that it really, really worked in 3D. I've actually never watched Avatar in 2D. It's like, mm. I just never want to watch it not in 3D. And since I don't have a 3D television, that's literally almost impossible. Yeah, yeah. I want to say that I, wa- I actually did watch The Hobbit in 3D. Really? And mm. it was entertaining. But at no point did I think, wow, that my, my experience here is greatly enhanced by this 3D-ness. Mm-hmm. But, but also, I kind of, like, when I go to watch a movie in 3D, first off, it's like a spin on the migraine wheel. Mm-hmm. Like, right. It, 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 there's, I'm just I'm so much... the mood swing. Yeah. Boop, boop, yep. boop. I'm just so much more likely to walk out of there with a headache just because... <laughs> well, just because um, when you wear those glasses, you have to strain your eyes a little yeah. bit. To in yeah. in order, it's like the glasses only get you halfway there, and then your eyes have to do the rest right. of the work. So it is, mm-hmm. it's it's very yeah. That's it's why fun. they say you're not supposed to take young kids right. to to it uh, because it can yeah. mess up their vision. So I think I actually ended up having to watch Hobbit in 3D because I wanted to. Mm-hmm. My friends wanted me to go to the midnight and, premiere, and I did not enjoy it at all. Like I didn't even their 3D, I didn't like at all. There there was actually one movie that was improved by the post production 3D conversion. And that was the Green Hornet. Yeah, I saw that one, and there were a couple of scenes where it kind of worked. Mm-hmm. But yeah. for the most part, I was like, there's but nothing the movie, here that enhances the... Yeah, the movie was particularly <laughs> dull and, and lifeless yeah, anyway. Yeah. So it was kind of... I mean, you can polish a turd, essentially, is what they were telling me. And up to a point, I think I, I a polished turd is entertaining. All right. Number four for me. Another one that I see used a lot, especially by... Uh, novice filmmakers is um, is the wipe, uh, you know the, mm-hmm. the circle wipe, the star wipe, the the Venetian blind effect, whatever that may be. <laughs> Kiki walks out. And Kiki pulls walks out, and pulls the shades. The sheep down. fall down. Wipes that aren't there to represent time change, and that's what wipes are really there for: is to show a transition of time passing. And too many times, it's just like let's do it just because it looks cool. Yeah, and, because uh, they did it in Star Wars. Yeah, well, in Star Wars, they did actually do it correctly. Mm-hmm. It is there to represent time change. Uh, so but in that's Star why Wars, people, that's it. why people emulate it. Yeah, right? yeah. totally. Yeah. So, uh, like, it's it's interesting because they read wipes as much like the long uh, movie times mm-hmm. and 3D. It's like wipes are part of epic movies, right? Right. Mm-hmm. right. So mm-hmm. it's like if you want to show that like this scene has gravitas, like you end it with a wipe. Mm-hmm. Oh boy, I sure hope this doesn't end up being uh, culminating into here's why we don't like epic movies. <laughs> that could be the end shot of all of this. Is, <laughs> top five, I, number sixty-seven. It might be Michael Bay. You know, I mean, I I loved I loved Lord of the Rings, which is probably guilty of like half of the things oh, yeah, on yeah, my yeah. Yeah, yeah. on my list. But the movie itself is good enough that it actually manages to to still mm-hmm. be entertaining. Remember the rule, tropes are not bad, tools are not bad. Right. Misuse is bad. What do you got for number Indeed. four, Matthew? Speaking of misuse, I want to say, first of all, that Stephen and I, in, in, in at, at a basic level, took a lot of the same classes in college related to film and production and television, and we have a lot of the same basics, and I understand many of the things that Stephen talks about. The man knows more than me and has more practical experience, but there are times when I go, yes, I can see that that lens flare was a bad idea. Mm-hmm. Now, the thing that drives me up the wall, and it's not just because I'm a teensy bit colorblind, is the frickin' teal and orange. The <laughs> teal and orange color palette in every single movie is just 
getting on my nerves. And I understand why. When was the last movie that you saw that in? Oh, dear God. I can't even think. I can tell you the movie. You're colorblind. You didn't see it. I can tell you the movie where I noticed it and loved it. Okay. Oh, Brother, Where Art Thou? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Where they color corrected everything to bright orange. When it's, oh, this is, you know, and it makes sense. It's sepia tone. It's old school. They're in the middle of the Oklahoma Plains and there's no water. It's 19 whatever. Mm-hmm. This all makes sense to me. It was set before the color was put in the world. Right. Um, my daughter and I watch a lot of black and white television. But when you, to me, when you take that and you color code it, it's just like a lens flare where there shouldn't be a lens flare. It's a reminder to me of the existence of the technique the existence of the director, the existence of the craft services table, the existence of, you know, Shia LaBeouf's assistant over there with a jacket in case Mr. LaBeouf is a little cold. You know he's not actually in danger from Megatron. Mm -hmm. But, I mean, the Avengers used it too. And as much as I love the Avengers, I mean, it's a a pretty good movie, but there are points in there where I'm just like, lay off the color filters. Just just stop. Stop with the... I blame Tron, to be honest. Okay. <laughs> the original Tron. Oh. But my, my number four, the teal and orange color palette to, to give you that color temperature and drag you in and emotionally manipulate and, and screw with your head. Rodrigo, what do you got for number four? My number four is uh, tie-in music. And it doesn't... Uh, th- there's There's two reasons why it bothers me. Are you talking like... The top 40 song that gets yeah, the put t- into... Yeah, the top 40 song that is uh, attached to a major release. Um, especially... Like Seal and, yeah. and Prince and all that stuff. Yes, okay. like like those <laughs> like, guys back, back yeah. in 1992. Uh, yes. I was going to say like Linkin Park yes. and, uh, and in the movie Cent. Linkin. Oh, right, okay. right, right. <laughs> no. Right, right. Like, like anybody, like... You know, a, I was a new superhero like, like the Beatles. Yes, a new superhero movie comes comes out, and there will be some jam attached to it. And at least it's they we've really moved away from like just like ramming that song mm-hmm. into the movie as yeah. much yeah. Until because tra- you can still hear it until Transformers Four comes out, possibly. <laughs> um, like yeah, like the I sun, can, they were made to rise. You can still. There's movies, for example, like uh, the Transformers movies, where like any time a radio is in the scene, you yeah, can yeah. hear one of the songs from the soundtrack. Mm-hmm. Yep. Um, and then, of course, they get played over the credits. But it really, it really annoys me when I don't like the artist. And about ten times out of eight, I hate the artist <laughs> that that they've attached to to, to this movie. I yeah. remember, like, there's there's a movie that I love. Um, which I'm sure you guys are familiar with, called Mystery Men. Yes. Mm-hmm. You get all the way through the movie, and it's been a hilarious movie, and then all of a sudden they start playing that all-star song by Smash mm-hmm. Mouth. The mm-hmm. Smash Mouth. And I'm just like, oh. Yeah. What a way to undermine. Mo- movie ruined. Yeah. It doesn't fit the tone. It doesn't fit anything. It doesn't fit anything about the movie. Um, yeah. So, yes. Um and then on top of that, any commercials that come out for yes. this movie will mm-hmm. have that song in them. So I'm watching this and I'm like, man, I do want to see the next Spider-Man. But they're playing something in the background like they want me to not see it. <laughs> it's like that guy from Linkin Park is yelling at me not to go see it. 
<laughs> so yes, tie-in music for me is my number four. Zach, what you got? Uh, my number four uh, kind of ties into all of this, and my number four is actually just tentpole movies. What? From that's the what studios. The, that's what makes the world go round, Zach. Right. Um, I it, admittedly, and I will go see the big, the big movies from the studios. I saw uh, the Iron Man three. All the Batman movies, the Avengers, I'll go see all of them. Um, so maybe I'm part of the problem, but you are. Uh, I am. No, I totally am. Um, I think that studios putting all their money and hopes and dreams into one movie in a year to make all the mo- money um, will undermine budgets for smaller movies, which I tend to enjoy more than the tentpole movies because tentpole movies i'll see in theaters but i've i don't own a i own one superhero movie and that's the dark knight everything else i watch it once in theaters and i'm pretty much good um so i i, I like i like the smaller movies just because um i feel more attached to them eventually once i watch them because uh, i can't watch them in our theater lord knows that uh but i'm just yeah Temple movies. Those aren't going away, though. So. No. Huh. No. But I, no. I don't like them. Okay. Uh, my number three, uh, I think it's already been mentioned at least once or referenced, the overhyped fight sequence, which has now become a parody of itself. What was the most recent Fast and the Furious, where they're, trying to, they're trying to steal the giant safe, uh, and they're <laughs> yeah. latching that on and dragging it through Buenos Aires or wherever they're yeah. driving it through. And it's yeah. just it's a it's a chase sequence, a fight sequence, whatever kind of sequence. I mean, look at uh, um, you know look at the the most recent Die Hard movie, and it's just the last forty five minutes is just this big punch, punch, pum, punch, 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 uh, to where the point where it's becoming so ridiculous that it's become a parody of itself. And I think when you watch like Family Guy mm-hmm. and Peter and the Chicken are always fighting, <laughs> no. I mean, it just yeah. rolls throughout an entire season. Uh, just to point out how bad it is. So I wish yeah. that, you know, you can have a good fight sequence, you can have a really good chase sequence, but I think, uh, you know, in many cases, less is more is what Rodrigo had mentioned earlier with the uh, three-hour movie. In a fight sequence, just give it to me. Give me time to breathe. And then if you want to in- introduce something else, uh, you can. But uh, something that goes on for 15, 20 minutes, just exhausting for the audience. Well, you've got to blame the Matrix for that. Yep, definitely. What do you have for number three, Matthew? My number three is actually vaguely related to what you've been saying because it's something that is popping up more and more often. And a lot of times it's in movies with those enormous fight scenes. Let me start out by saying that as a kind of a a hippy-dippy weirdo, I have a deep love of Jungian archetypes in fiction. And I have a deep love of the sort of expectation that Jack Kirby massive mythology where everything is there and there's a source and a finger writes on the wall and it's literally a finger writing. And I love Joseph Campbell, but maybe enough with the chosen one already because after about the 13th time, somebody tried to retread Harry Potter, which is pretty much that, that, that hero's journey, the chosen one who will save us all. It's what was wrong to me with the um, the sequel trilogy that Steven insists on referring to as the first three Star Wars movies was that they kept shoving that Chosen One mythology down our throat. Oh, yeah. But you know from the beginning that that Chosen One is going to grow up to be 
the right hand of the Empire and the evilest thing that ever did evil. Only if you've never seen the the original uh, three releases before you saw these three. Yeah, and even in 1999, mm-hmm. yeah, because babies. But this is the thing, even in 1999, people were like, oh, I, I, I didn't know that was supposed to be Darth Vader. And that, that segment of the population is there. I would argue that serving exclusively that segment of the population by making the movies as though the first three movies weren't, you know, a, a, an integral part of pop culture and, you know, the, the group mind, if you will. It, I think it really does a disservice to those movies. And I think it's why people hate them. And that's why people grow Jake Lloyd out of acting. I know for a fact it's the reason why no matter how cool Percy Jackson was and how awesome those little teen actors were and how neat the little effects were, couldn't get into it. I know how it goes. I know how it ends. I know where it's going. It's another frickin' chosen one. And, you know, you can't have all chosen ones because if everybody is super special, then nobody is super special. And we are to the point now where, from a character standpoint in movies, there's almost nobody left from, you know, Batman all the way down. Well, it's who it's time for special. the life of Brian once again. Yes, exactly. Right. We, need sure. we need that schlub down the street. You know? well, I, I, the problem is, is that, that the chosen one is a schlub half yeah, the time. Yeah. yeah. Like that's, that's, that's part of the trope is this is like very unassuming. Well, that's the first step. Right? Yeah. yeah. I mean, it's a very unassuming, of, beautiful yeah. white man. And yeah. um, he gets chosen to go on this amazing adventure. And you know what? The, the the white man part of it is, I think, a big part of my problem with it. Yeah. You know, it's a it's a it's as with anything, it in and of itself is not bad. But there comes a point where if the only tool you have is a hammer, then you pretty much are hammering everybody. I think is how that goes. <laughs> yeah, that's that's definitely how it goes. Yeah. You're out getting hammered every night. And some of us just want a nice screw, is what I'm saying. And on that note, Rodrigo, what do you got for your number three? <laughs> My number three is actually exactly the same as yours, Stephen. Um, or maybe as the same as your number four. I've lost track. Which but one? It's uh, when the last half of the movie... Oh, yeah, like, yeah. It's like, so here's a three-hour movie, and the last hour and a half of it is one continuous action sequence. Mm-hmm. I remember the first mm-hmm. time I went to see Transformers, which the first Transformers movie I actually enjoyed. Mm-hmm. Um, I was talking to my friend about it, and uh, he was like, yeah, and you know that scene when like the guy's driving the motorcycle, and like the robot's like, rah, and he like drives the motorcycle under him, and I'm like, no. No, I don't, I don't remember that happening. When did that happen? And... I have since gone back and watched the movie, and there are so many things that I missed during the action sequence yeah, yeah, yeah. because my brain literally can't <laughs> keep my attention on the action right. that long. Right. Like I, I process my it. eyes are looking at the screen, and every time I've seen it, my eyes were looking at the screen the whole time, mm-hmm. and and I just like it just blurs out, yeah. and then eventually it comes back. And somebody's yelling at Starscream. I don't know if it's on somebody's <laughs> list, and if it is, forgive me, but I should have had it on my list, but it's doing an action sequence with everything in too close to where you can't see the action, yeah, so yeah. it's nothing but a blur and a mess and tumbling this, and you don't know who hit who, right, and right. and it's just, I don't like that, and that needs to relax it out and make it a little bigger, but you're number three. So gigantic action scenes. Okay. Yeah. Zach, what do you have for number three? Uh, many of you may know Distribution is a very important part of filmmaking. And so my number three is the resistance of digital distribution in filmmaking. Because 
some of us live in the boonies. because because you're uh, because Steven's your mentor, <laughs> obviously, and, and has and has because like finally gotten into your brain. For five years, Steven's been shoving knowledge into my brain uh, mm. by enforcement of classroom and the enforcement of being here. <laughs> you don't have to You're be lucky. here. Oh. No one's oh. forcing oh. you to be here. Uh, Steven, Steven, yes, he that, does. Yeah. <laughs> that yeah, one no, kid, he actually surgically relief. inserted things into his brain. So, um, yeah. That was only one time. Um, but you know, a lot of uh, a lot of population doesn't live in big uh, in big cities with art houses and multi cineplexes, and some of us just live out in Kansas with theaters that don't bring in suck. all the movies that I want. Yeah, suck. They suck. And so. Um, the resistance of big studios going um, early release of theaters or day and date release of theaters mm-hmm. is mm-hmm. Uh, something I want to see less of that resistance. Um, starting to do it more and more. Yeah. Um, early release of videos to uh, digital is beating out um, yeah, DVD. DVD and yeah. Blu-ray by about a week now on mm-hmm. all the major releases. So that we're getting somewhere. A lot of small independent films will release early digitally which is cool um but i like that you know i totally agree with you lovelace uh loveless the uh, story of the porn star oh, love lady is that what it's no loveless was it loveless? lovelace oh, okay. um, linda lovelace love story um uh, that one's out and it's yeah. just in theaters the f- history of future folk yeah um so many that you can get on itunes or through other legal means mm-hmm. that you can see those movies while they're in the theater uh, yeah yeah i think it's awesome it's great and so i'd like to see more of that with some of the bigger studios uh, that might be a while, but here's to hoping. Yeah, I don't think we're ever going to mm-hmm. see like an Avengers two no. released digitally the same day that was in theaters. Although it's I guarantee you that maybe they an would, Avengers five. We'll see I would I would bet digital, that they would yeah. make more money in a single week releasing digitally than they would in their whole ten week theater run if they did. Avengers it. five will be a reboot starring Batman anyway, yeah. or Spider Man. Eventually, eventually. Whoever owns Disney and Marvel will just like eat like <laughs> that company. Sale. So every all the companies will be together. Yeah. All right, good one, Zach. Uh, usually, listeners at this part of the show, we take a break and we thank all the people that have contributed and made this show possible. And um, I'm sorry, I just didn't prepare that list this week. I was uh, enjoying some vacation time and just <laughs> slipped my mind. But let me tell you, if you, you would like to become someone who gets their name shouted out in this show. I want you to head over to members.majorspoilers.com. Members.majorspoilers.com. That's our VIP section to thank everyone who's become a monthly contributor, either a $2, a $5, $10 a month, bronze, silver, and gold. Somebody's been asking, what are you going to do with platinum? And that's something I'm still trying to work out. Mm -hmm. Um, But uh, you can head over there. Not only do you help make sure that this show goes on, all of our other podcasts go on, our websites go on and continue, and even build and grow and do even more greater things. Um, but you also get some bonus content, free art, free um, audio files, free, free video of Zach uh, showing what happens when he wins his, uh, wins his <laughs> game of Munchkin and, and makes it rain. Is that up? Not yet. Oh, God. By this release, probably. <laughs> yeah, yes. probably. Um, but all of that can be found over ma- uh, members.majorspoilers.com. We thank everyone who's been a contributor and helping us go to phase two. Feed the goat, hit the goal, become a VIP, members.majorspoilers.com. Can we just say some, I know I listened to the last top five that I wasn't on. I believe one of you talked about a show that just said a bunch of generic names at the end. So can we just yep. list a bunch of generic names and say thank you? 
We can sure. chuck Tane. That, that, that doesn't really seem like our listeners, though. We should really oh, think of a bunch of like really well, difficult you could, names. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You, could, you could give a bunch of just generic names like John Smith and go. give them to Zach, and he would still screw it up. Right, right? that's yeah. true. All right. You have, to throw in, you have to throw in one of those, Ramiro Barrera Palma, which is such fun to say. Right. My oh, number that's two. That's a real name. Oh, no, I quit. My number two is <sighs> one that is a, it's a technique. That's used quite often to get the character from point A to point B, or to put them on their quest, or whatever that it may you hate be. Cars, but it really is never revealed, or it is something so mundane when it is that it really has no bearing on the story. I'm talking about the MacGuffin. You know mm. what is what is the Rimbaldi device in Lost? What is the um, Oh, what's another Maltese one? Falcon. Yeah, Maltese Falcon is the another one. Briefcase in Pulp Fiction. Briefcase in yeah. Pulp Fiction. All of these what things the are just R3 thrown out that have no, no real bearing on the story, except that they're there to get the character to move their butt. Mm-hmm. And I like to have answers. And so I think MacGuffins are things that people should avoid and tell even better stories um, yeah. instead of just throwing it out to the wind to see what happens. Right. Tie, tie them into the story somehow or make, yeah. make it sensible rather than having it be a MacGuffin right. for MacGuffin's sake. Right. What do you have for your number two, Matthew? My number two is related to the MacGuffin, only not at all the same. Is it the Puffin? In, in, in 2000... Is it the Egg McMuffin? <laughs> there was this lovely movie where Robert Downey Jr. put on an iron suit and went pew, pew, pew through space, time, and dimension. And everybody went, holy carp, this was a good movie. We're going to make another one. And so they made another one. And and what they did was they're like, you know what we're going to do? We're going to put in this character from the Marvel Universe who is a noted super spy assassin with years of backstory and tons and tons of things that have happened to her and depth and all of these moments going back to 1941. And we're going to have her played by a 24-year-old woman. And I said, wait. I love that actress. She is very pretty, but how can she, what the, humanahamana? And then, of course, there was that Superman Returns movie where we had a 34-year-old Superman and, like, a 19-year-old Lois Lane. I hate this, and my number two is casting actors, specifically female actors uh, in this case, but actors who are just too young for the role. And a lot of times the reason that it affects female actors is... Because apparently there's a magical point where women in Hollywood turn 40 and then turn back into a pumpkin. I'm not sure how that whole thing works, quite frankly. But when I get to a movie like Superman Returns, Superman Returns has some huge, huge problems with plotting. But I think had there been an age-appropriate actress playing Lois Lane and giving the story that they insisted on throwing in there about Superman's child, giving that a little bit of depth and making it look like this is a woman who could actually have had a seven, eight, nine year old kid or, you know, Rachel Dawes in Batman begins is the assistant district attorney of Gotham city, which is implicitly New York. And she's like 24, which completely unrealistic to me for Joey Potter from Dawson's Creek to be the assistant district attorney of Gotham. Did they say she was 24? No, but the actress was like 24. Yeah, but see, that's, I mean, that's the one, that's see, the one area the that I, that's real touchy to get into because look and being able to play to type. Mm-hmm. And I think that throws a lot of people that, I mean, that's thrown you with um, Glee 
because mm-hmm. you're all hot for um, what's her name? <laughs> Santana. 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 And you're like, oh, I shouldn't be having these impure thoughts about her. And then suddenly you find out, oh, wait a minute, she's 28. She's 28. Okay. It's okay. And to be fair, what Matthew said was, I shouldn't be having these impure thoughts about her yet. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Now, first, so that, <laughs> let's go back and we'll attack two points separately. Yeah, first, yeah. Naya Rivera is a very attractive woman. They were not. No, I'm not saying she's thoughts. not. They were just, oh my God, is this woman not? absolutely adorable and secondly it's one thing to say yes you can play any age you can play any type and that is very true Mm -hmm. but if you look at kate bosworth specifically as lois lane that is meant to be a continuation of the character played by margot kidder who was in her late 30s when she played the role presumably seven years before was it not meant to be a a continuation of superman and superman 2 I might have said, okay, I can understand it, or I can accept it. But do but we know? It, but do we know if the Lois Lane that maybe Mar- uh, maybe Margot Kidder wasn't supposed to be playing someone younger? I think once no, you have, no, once you have, thing. once you have the, that exp- like once you have Margot Kidder's performance, right, right, right. You mm-hmm. know how old that person was. Sure, sure, sure. Right, and and I think, but, that but visually, Superman, I think Superman Returns was that what was that yes. what was yeah, Superman yeah. Returns was a, a bad call. On every level, and in oh, fact, yeah. I, I mean, I I know what Matthew's talking about. Uh, so do I, I. So do I. I. I wouldn't use it. As, I mean, it's a good example of that taken to an extreme degree, but it's mm-hmm. also a difficult example to look at because there were so many things wrong yeah, with it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that movie sucks. But yeah. on the basic level, if you take Brandon Ralph and stand him next to Kate Bosworth, he looks noticeably about a half a decade or more older. And that was not the case to me with Christopher Reeve and Margot Kidder. So mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I think that, you know, it's not necessarily so much a question of inappropriate because I feel like, especially in Avengers, in her sequences, Scarlett Johansson pulled off some pretty decent acting. She managed to convey a little bit of what makes, and I say a little bit because I love the Black Widow and I think that she's a character that everybody undersells, but she managed to convey a little bit of what makes that character awesome in comic book form. She did a good job. My expectation there that she was, quote unquote, too young, probably wrong. But that doesn't change the fact that if you look at the rest of that cast, she's the youngest by the better part of a decade, mm. yet again. And, you know, it, and there is nothing wrong with casting a young actress. There's nothing wrong with casting an old actress. It doesn't even have to be specific to actresses. But the appropriateness of the character the appropriateness of the look of the character is part of my suspension of disbelief. And when she still looks like Joey from Dawson's Creek, sure. the only expectation that I have of Rachel Dawes is that the Joker has killed everybody over 30 and she's the last living lawyer in Gotham City. Hmm. So, yeah. specifically, I think we'll narrow my number two down to age-appropriate casting issues, cool. regardless of gender. Cool, cool, cool. Bud Kate Bosworth. All right. Uh, Rodrigo, <laughs> what do you have for number two? Number two. My uh, number two, my issue here is actually not with movies, although movies actually kind of do it. Some movies do it uh, as well, but my number two is the black fade in trailers. <laughs> Um, yeah, it's like usually accompany- accompanied by either a single tone that sounds like it came from a very large bell, or maybe yes. like multiple ones. Like, yeah, yeah. Do, now do, it's, do, it's do, like do, a do, shriek do, now. Yeah, it's yeah. like, whoa! 
Right, Whoa! right. Oh man, Whoa! Rodrigo. I think on your you do you do shows for PBS, yeah, like agriculture shows. Right. I think you need to create a promo spot for your next agriculture show <laughs> that <laughs> is done in that style. I think I should, Quang. especially be awesome. because the next show that I'm working on is like is sod. Oh my gosh! Like I'm, I'm going to oh, a sod. So see, you just see a one single blade of grass yeah. blowing, fade, quick fade, ball. Then you see this grass will never stand on its own. The plow goes into the dirt. We need to add dirt. Oh, there you go, man. And possibly some sort of some sort of petrochemical mesh to keep it all together. (laughs) Then you see a long shot of a cow. Moo. Oh, maybe that's your that's your sound as you slow the moo cow down. (laughs) And you bring up the bass a lot more. No, I was like, and then no, like I agree. sunset cow doing a power walk towards us. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I can see where you're coming from on this because it's it seems like Hollywood has one company that it goes to to cut all of its yeah. commercials, mm-hmm. and once something hits, it's like every single. Uh, it's the worst. And like Inception. it's it's so like it's it's almost like a strobe to me. I don't know if I'm like the only person. No, that Transformers this did that. Yeah, and it's a lot just of their like stuff and because because. Obviously, like here's the thing: it's like the the problem with this technique is that it has a basic amount of time under which it doesn't work. Right. So as the trailer goes on, the trailer speeds up. It tries to get more exciting as it right, goes. Right. right? And then you get the so voice like, coming up. Oh. Yeah. There's like faster cuts as you go. But if your transition between all those cuts is a fade, yeah, yeah. then mm-hmm. you are seeing one frame mm-hmm. of actual video and yeah. three to ten frames of fading video. Yep. So it's just like it just looks like it It looks like when you're talking on a webcam and the webcam can't focus. Mm-hmm. Like that's what it looks like. <laughs> except or that actually full- it my yes. side of critical yes. hit. Or as we call it, Matthew on critical hit. Um, focus. Focus please. Up front. Focus. <laughs> Down in front. Down in front. So yes, the fade on that that has taken up in trailers, and you know, I I get the whole like better the evil you know than the evil you don't know. I mean, I'd hate to see a fade to white. Oh yeah, take over <gasps> that would be even worse. Oh, God. fade to fuchsia. Oh. Yeah. Well, you, you know, for a while, like there was that uh, when Kill Bill came out, and like there was like that sharp like red oh, yeah, thing yeah. that comes mm-hmm. on when she like zooms yeah, yeah. into her face and stuff, like. I was like, I remember watching that and thinking, that is awesome. God, I hope no one else does that. <laughs> Fade to vermilion. Yes. Cool. Number two. Very good, Rodrigo. Zach, you're number two. Can my you stop two. that? Um, probably not. No, my number two is uh, the catering of movies to the MPAA ratings. Ooh. Um, That's your number two? Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Okay. Um, Your number one's going to be fantastic. My number one is fantastic. <laughs> um, number oh, one? Zach, that's my fantastic. My number one is Scarlett Johansson over here in my calls. Yeah. I would really like that to change. Um, <laughs> so a lot of big movies, I mean, obviously, I think we've talked about a lot on a multitude of different podcasts throughout the Major Spoilers podcast. Including this one called Zach on Film. Yeah, I believe we talked about it one time, a couple times on Zach on Film. Mm-hmm. Go find what episode we do and then let us know um where movies will certainly play to that pg-13 mm-hmm. uh rating if they're like a really big movie the big tentpole movie that we talked about earlier 
to try to rake in all the money in the world because that's the rating that gets the most money. And then I think some movies can, I think the dark Knight could have easily been an R. Oh yeah. Uh, like, would have been more like interesting you add about, R. about six frames and that movie becomes an R. Yeah. I, I was, I saw the dark Knight with, um, friend of the show, friend of the network, Scott Johnson. Mm-hmm. And, uh, I was sitting next to his, I mean, I was sitting next to Scott, but sitting next to him was his then, Gosh, eight-year-old son. Oh wow, yeah, he would have been. And I was like, "Holy crap, is this is this too intense for him?" He's like, "Nah, he's okay with it." But yeah, you're, you're yeah real close, dude. Mm-hmm. That could have been an R-rated movie. And then some movies um, will get a rating back, and so they'll they'll start cutting stuff to get into that rating. Especially if they're in that not uh, rated to R rating, yeah, they'll cut as much as they can to get to that R, so they can actually get advertising and right, be played right. in theaters and all that good stuff that they need to the studio to make all their money. And so I think playing into the MPAA makes um, directors and editors and everyone involved make mm-hmm. consciously unartistic creative decisions to yeah. play into the system of the movie business. It's a, it's a difficult um, balance because, for example... My issue with gigantic movies, I think, right. as, as Stephen pointed out, a lot of the time comes from them just letting directors do whatever they want. Right. Mm-hmm. But on the yeah. other hand, executive pressure um, can actually really screw a movie over. Mm-hmm. Yep. All right, here we go to our big number ones. Number one. Number one. And if you have listened Fate to me one. for any length of time, <laughs> number one, number you know one. the one thing that I hate the most is the thought, and I put this in quotes, because lens flares are cool. <laughs> <laughs> I knew it was going to be a shot at me. No, it's not a shot at you. It is just this thought that, me and JJ that we can make this movie look so much better with lens flares. Lens flares. Lens flares. Paradigm shift. Um, <laughs> you know, if a lens flare is natural, right? If you, the headlight is shining into the lens and you get a lens flare off that, I'm perfectly cool with that. If you're panning across a vista and a horizon and the sun catches the the lens and creates a flare, I'm okay with that because that is a flaw of movie making. You've got a piece of glass (laughs) sitting between the audience and nature, and that is an effect of that. But if you're someone like J.J. Abrams in Star Wars, and they physically had, you know, those lens flares a lot of times are not added in post. They actually have these lights situated just right outside frame shining into the lens to create those artificial lens flares, mm. then it just doesn't work. You know, if there was a, if there was a, <laughs> a, 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 a an LED on Chekhov's uh, control switch that was just at the right angle that was causing a flare, that'd be great. But to have, I'm walking down a dark to, hallway to have, and there are 15 have, lens flares around have me. That, to have that exact thing because it was totally on purpose. Right, exactly. <laughs> right. So uh, I think we can really cut down because, because lens flares are cool. Yeah, and the only place where you can have lens flares all over the place is if you have a topless Joanna Cameron and uh, Daryl Hannah running around in a leotard. Even in the then, far-flung future. even then, as long as it's as long as it's natural, I don't have a problem with it. I really don't. But when it's forced <laughs> upon you, man, that is just that's just wrong. Yeah, I mean, wrong, it's, wrong, wrong. It's, it's kind of like Matthew was talking about. It really draws attention to the fact that you're yeah. watching a movie. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. It, it it really says, oh yeah, right. This went through a lens. This went through you know a film camera. Yeah. And even though I have since I was 13 years old looked at the world through a lens, 
I can tell you that I have never seen a lens flare in my glasses. I get it. I get that a lot uh, with my, especially at night driving, um, mm-hmm. just because they're schmutz or something that'll build up, or just just atmos- just atmospheric haze through the glass. Well played, the, uh, You know the light, the lamp posts, and even a lot of cars that come to me, I get a lot of flares off that right. through my glasses. So Plus I know your, the your difference. Eyes are actually melting. Yes, my eyes are actually sloughing off. I, so. I live, I live in a uh, discotheque, so yes. I get lens flare in my glasses <laughs> all the time. <laughs> Matthew, from what all do the you, lasers? What do you have for number one? Not so much a discotheque, except so much as uh, Rodrigo actually lives in the seventies. Yeah, I do. I take yeah. a bus I, there. I lived there in the nineties, and the it was the fifties. Say what? You have, a, you have like a card, or do you have to like use your change every time? You have to use change. How much is it? Because yeah. the card only works from here to the 70s. Oh, okay. If you try to use it on the way back, they don't accept gotcha. it. Gotcha. It's, and they're a nickel in the 70s. Everything's yeah. a nickel. For me, for, my number well, one. Go ahead. The, the number one complaint that I have had about everything everywhere, and the problem with this list, he said going off on a tangent, which shocked precisely no one, is... The tendency to sound like we're harping or that we're making a bad stand-up routine. And, hey, what's the deal with all of this? But my number one is really something that a lot of people complain about in a general sense, but I'm going to complain about in a very specific sense. And that is the remake or adaptation that isn't a remake or adaptation. And specifically, one of my favorite horror movies in recent memory by uh, a director that I actually kind of admire. Transformers? Uh, Dawn of the Dead, the 2004 Dawn of the Dead with uh, Sarah Polly and Ving Rhames, and they're trapped, and they've got the blah, blah, blahs, and uh, apparently Mackay Pfeiffer is in there for some reason. I like that movie. I do. I like it a lot, and if I were to put it on a level with the original Dawn of the Dead, which, you know, the the trilogy, the original trilogy, when people say the original trilogy, they mean Star Wars, I actually mean Romero. Dawn of the Dead is an awesome movie. The remake of Dawn of the Dead is an only slightly less awesome movie. What it is not is Dawn of the Dead. And I, I look at the most recent a uh, real offender for this. And in the late 90s, we got something called the Fox Network. Fourth channel, Zach. We had four channels. Actually, it would have been the this, fifth channel, fifth network. Shh, we didn't have PBS. PBS. It, it, on this network was something called 21 Jump Street. Oh, boy, yeah. With, oh, man. with Johnny Depp and yeah. Peter DeLuise and Richard Grieco. And they were all Don't like forget Holly Fox. Robinson. They, Holly Robinson, yeah. That, not that Holly Robinson. Right. They were all cops who passed as teenagers. This last year, they remade that with uh, Channing Duke from G.I. Joe and uh, the goofy guy from Superbad. And it's awful. And it's, you know, well, they kind turned it of, into a comedy. Well, and there were comedy elements. I think and it's And this really is funny. the thing about it. I, I, I thought there were funny parts to it, too. <laughs> but you know the problem with it's it, Zach? Really you know what it is not? It's, it, there's not a it's sequel not to 21, 21 Jump Street yet. 21 Jump Street. It's not anything related even vaguely except the notion of we're passing ourselves off as no, high school students. It's but actually, it, but it's actually, yeah, it is it's an actual, it's actually part of the 21 nope. Jump Street universe. Because they're nope, there. At the, at the very, very end. Spoiler. <laughs> okay. That, my friend, is what we like to call the cameo to save it. Seen also with the appearance of Ashley Williams last year in uh, The New Evil Dead. Here's the one. This is the one that I think is the worst offender. Have you seen a Will Smith movie 
set in the end of the world that didn't have nepotism in it. Called I Am Legend. No. Yes. Okay. In I Am Legend, Will Smith is all like, oh, I'm Will Smith and I'm after the end of the world. And there's product placement even though everybody's dead. Now, here's the thing. I've talked about Rod Serling before. And one of Rod Serling's creative co-workers on The Twilight Zone was a man named Richard Matheson. Richard Matheson is an utterly brilliant writer. He has written stuff that is literally the beginning of many of the tropes of science fiction, of horror, of all of the supernatural elements that we know in stuff today. And I Am Legend has a very specific twist at the end that makes the title make sense, that makes the whole thing into something more than just a stupid adventure story with Will Smith. And it didn't play well with audiences in 2007, so they cut it out and they reworked the ending to give I Am Legend a happy ending. Thereby making what was supposed to be an adaptation slash remake into an entirely different story that literally urinates on the corpse of the script of I Am Legend. And, you know, I'm being a little over the top here because, again, I love my Matheson and I love the Well, I mean, Philip K. Dick is the same way. Exactly. When you get to the point where you've taken little to nothing but the title or maybe the skeleton of a concept and you've reworked it into something completely different, it, it doesn't follow to me. It doesn't make sense to say, I'm going to remake, let's say, Married with Children. Okay. But instead of being about a, a working class schlub and his idiot family, I'm going to do Married with Children, and it's going to be like Breaking Bad, only they're going to be French neo-impressionists, and no one's going to speak because it's a family of mimes. Well, we're going to put it on screen, and it's going to star Channing Tatum, and we're going to call it Married with Children. I think really the issue with 21 Jump Street, um, for example, or and it's the same issue as the Brady Bunch, like a very Brady movie or the Brady Bunch movie or whatever, sure, and the whatever issue with Dark called. Shadows... Yeah. is that these are people that are looking at the original source material and thinking, this is stupid, right, let's right, right. make jokes right. about well, it. Well, and that's what a parody comes from. And right. essentially, you can look at those, even though they don't fall into the genre of parody, they mm-hmm. are parodying, they are parodying the it, original but source. they put the right... Without becoming the, a farce. Yeah, yeah they, yeah. Put, they mm-hmm. put the name of the original thing on it. Right. And <clears throat> thus, right. I feel are kind of making fun of the original audience oh, yeah, for yeah, that yeah. show. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Which, and I, you know, I, I didn't love. care about... I, re- I really didn't care about most of those shows. You know, Starsky and Hutch, um, yeah. the the Brady Bunch, really, the um, Dark Shadows. I didn't watch it. Yeah. Um, it. But, but like, watching that, I was like, this has to be offensive to the people that actually people that enjoy like those shows. Exactly. And something that I think you have to look at is... I don't remember when it was, but somewhere around the turn of the century, Gus Van Zant was like, I'm going to remake Psycho, and yeah. I'm going to do a shot-for-shot remake. I would rather see something that was as ham-fisted as Gus Van Zant's shot-for-shot remake of Psycho than I would rather see something like I Am Legend, or see something that takes that title or that concept and throws it. Oh, God, Lost in Space. Oh, God. I just threw up in my mouth a little bit. Lost in Space. If you take that that television show and strip it of everything that made it anything other than generic sci-fi, you could make that movie the Lost in Space movie. And 
it's that movie would have been better served not calling itself Lost in Space. It would have been a better movie with a, a, a different title, and there are very few things that I can say that about. I might have actually enjoyed more of it if it were not called Lost in Space, because come on, Joey, as Han Solo, forget about it. How you doing? Come on. Can I, can I, can I ask you a question? Sure. Um... Don't do Especially it. with like, I am legend. Can I ask you a question? Why are you so old and have no joy in your <laughs> yeah, heart yeah, anymore? Yeah, yeah, Why do you hate everything? Why do you hate everything, Matthew? Uh, okay, so I don't, <laughs> I don't hate everything. Just everyone on the panel. Right, right, right. Except um, for Rodrigo. So, like, so I never read or watched I Am Legend. Okay, but you obviously have very strong feelings towards the film and Indeed. its non-accuracy to the book. Yes. Would you rather the movie? draw or the adaptation in general draw incredible reference to a material but change the ending or an element slightly Mm -hmm. and not give any credit to the original source or give credit to the original source and mm-hmm. then still make the adaptation. Where did you find this kid? I told you. I he's, actually, it, actually I, pretty, I, he's pretty good at this. I yeah, picked the good that kid. Is sharp. That is sharp. That's tough because when it comes to I Am Legend specifically, the thing that they changed is is the Shyamalan twist at the end. It would be, I mean, in in the case of I Am Legend specifically. Mm-hmm. Had they made that movie under a different name and not referenced Matheson, I would probably say this movie is a ripoff of the right. Omega Man and I Am Legend. But I think I would have had a less virulent response to it because I, I for some reason, that sort of you know quickie Hollywood knockoff plagiarism seems to be less obnoxious and less less not necessarily creatively bankrupt, but less mm-hmm. creatively destructive than taking a, you know, a story that has that ending and saying, well, it doesn't play in Peoria, so let's rewrite it for the masses or let's rewrite it for the guys in the cheap seats. So I would say if I had to make your specific choice, good question of the day, by the way, I would Thanks. choose that they, that they did it without referencing the original. Okay. I was just wondering. Because, that, yeah, that's, that's, that's good. Damn. All right, Rodrigo, let's get to your number one. We're at number one. We are at number one. Number one. My number one is not really a technique or a uh, a trope. Someone's just a person. <laughs> um, an actual real-life person, p- potentially with hopes and dreams and goals and um, a working cardiovascular system. Um which which is fine it's fine for 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 you know any sort of um cardiovascular endocrine or any other system to be functioning um within a person i don't have a problem with that uh, what i have a problem with is this person's movies um i've seen maybe 4 out of the 8 or 10 movies that this person has come out with and I've never liked any of them except maybe for the very first one, the uh, the Sixth Sense. Um, 
and but immediately after that like every other oh, yeah, movie yeah, just yeah. becomes this yeah. hunt for uh for yeah. what the for what the twist is and his name has in fact been invoked already in the show yeah yeah um, like Haley Joel Osment yes um it turns out Haley Joel Osment was an alien who's allergic to water um i believe is is how that goes from, from the year 1873 yes, and and um but it was, but it was the our current time period all along, right. um, and he's an airbender, right? Um, so yes, I'm talking, of, of course, about M Night Shyamalan, who I I was perfectly okay with him making these movies that I wasn't interested in anymore. They have they have like the little mystery, the little twist, their little like um, kind of uh, like like hammer. Like it's it's like somebody grabbing a brick and hitting you over the face symbolism kind of right, thing. Right, it's like right. this is important because it's the only thing that has any color in the entire movie. Right. Um, and yet not pointing like say a Schindler's List type situation, um, or like a uh, Yakko Warner or like a Wacko Warner's nose type situation. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, so uh, I was perfectly okay with that until. Somebody had the brilliant idea of handing him the Avatar, the last airbender property. Mm-hmm. And um, it it allowed this man to hurt me like no one has ever hurt me before. Like, I love that show. I love that property. Yeah. And mm-hmm. then what he did with it was not even atrocious, just so mundane, just such a mundane Hollywood movie out of it. Yeah. That um, is, is really the, like, just, just sad i was i was just like very sad about it um i'm, I'm it thinking about just forever. all of the Shyamalan movies that i've watched because i've seen six cents unbreakable right the signs or right. whatever it was lady in the water lady in the water i've seen and actually i was like wow this is not the Shyamalan movie that i was expecting uh-huh. in that one and then the mm-hmm. uh, the happening the happening is, is probably my the, least favorite. Well, my but besides oh. Airbender, happening has to be my least favorite. Is that the uh, the plants? That's did the one it. where Zoe no, 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 no. Deschanel and I never uh, saw Marky that one. Mark run away from the wind. The uh, yeah. pilgrims for like an hour. Uh, oh, uh, the, the village. 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 The okay. village is also one of my. And least I forget favorite where that ever. falls in there, but it, between Lady in the Lake and the village, that's where I the ended village my. Is before the happening. I know that. Yeah, yeah. That's where I. That's where I ended my Shemelaning. And then there was. What what's Devil Elevator? That's he just produced Devil. that one. Oh, uh, he didn't direct he did that one. After Earth this year. What? Devil Elevator. Well, which, 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 which is a great name for Devil. a band. Yeah, that really yeah. is actually Devil, a really good. Yeah. Oh wow. Devil Elevator is a good na- name for a band. I would Devil Elevator is actually my stage couple band. Main stage. <laughs> Really, a lot of the, a lot of, yeah, a lot of the, if, <laughs> if you look at a lot of the like um, twist endings for Shyamalan movies, they're actually pretty good. Um, no, they're not. They're actually <laughs> no, no. What I'm saying is they're pretty good band names. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah, so yeah. stop listening yeah. now if you don't want it to be spoiled. And we kind of spoil yeah, all of them already. But so there's Devil Elevator. Yeah. yeah Hydrophobic right. Alien. Oh yeah. Right. Ghost all I along. See dead people. Yeah. Yes, that's a good one. Um, Someone's plants. Oh, um, secretly the future. Secretly oh, the future. Good name. Yep. Yeah. Secretly the and future. And the plants. You got the yeah, plants. Right. The plants. The plants. The plants did <laughs> the it. Plants yeah. did the plants it. did it. Yeah. Uh, I would call that one running away from the wind. Yeah. Running from the oh, wind. That's yeah, a good that's one. That's good. What was hey the man, future I can one? Play this fake man thing. All what was the, the village? The village. Yeah, no, no. What was the name? Actually, I forgot the future. It. Actually, the future. That's awesome. <laughs> yeah. Actually, the future. Actually, the future and Devil Elevator should go on tour together. They should. So no more M Night, please. M Night, if Ma you can, if you can at all help it. Ma. Oh, but what about She's the Man? 
Didn't he? Didn't he write that? <laughs> Did he? Yeah, he ghost wrote um, one of the oh, yeah, yeah, Amanda Bynes Amanda Bynes movie. Well, yeah. I have a I have a soft spot in my heart for Amanda Bynes. So do I. Yeah. Poor girl. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But she but has, that's about it. She has it. one in her head. Yeah. <laughs> so. <laughs> man. She pierced oh, her face. Man. Okay. She pierced her. Never mind. Anyway. <laughs> you know, I was at a restaurant the other day, and my waitress had pierced cheeks, and I was. It just. I had a moment where I was like, she has pierced cheeks. They have to do those, like, surgically. Those are. Yeah, I know, but I'm weird. like. D- does she ever, like, leak drool on my food? It's you just have to hope. Just. I actually want, um, if she I was going to get a piercing, this is, let's just go down this road for a second. I would okay. actually get gauges in my nose, uh-huh. like right here. Oh, Because nice. then you like have four-way what? snot tunnels. Yeah. You mean, if you, you mean it, like... Like the big like hole, what? the like gauges, a, like the big holes. Uh-huh. Like yeah, for your earlobes? Yeah, yeah, yeah. He just opened up his nostrils. Yeah, yeah, I just opened up my sides of my nostrils and just shoot so nuts, you, not everywhere. You, when I you go, sneeze, right, right. it would be like a radial sneeze. I could plug my regular tube oh. and just like <laughs> piss off the people next to me and just score <laughs> them. And you know, I would just like shoot I them right into your glasses. Now. Yeah, the gauges in my van. Yeah, oh, man, I could try. I'm sorry, around. ladies and gentlemen. Off yeah, the rails. Yeah, people... People hate it when we get off topic. <laughs> Zach, what Those is your certainly n- aren't their favorite? Zach, you, of you all. are last. What right. is what is your number one? My number one actually too many actors with cages in their nostrils. <laughs> Not enough. Really. <laughs> <laughs> uh, my we need more night riders. Also, is a human being who um, has been featured in very many movies. Uh, as yeah, of late. If you say Ashley Williams, I'm coming after you. No, this one does not involve a director. Or an actor, or actress, okay. or directress. <laughs> That's <laughs> why I just call them actors. See? You're still wondering where I found him? <laughs> no, yeah, you're right. Um, you're right. It all balances out by yes, the end of the show. Exactly. It's like, here's an insightful question. Also, how do I get gauges put into my, no- into my right. nose? How do, how do I shot web? Um, mine is actually a composer, and his name <sighs> is Hans Zimmer. I am. I would like to see less Hans Zimmer scores and more John in Williams. movies. I don't know. I just I more actually Elfman. I really yeah. enjoy scores. Um, That's actually a strip club in Topeka. <laughs> um, <laughs> nope. Um, I think actually our fa- strip club is called Hans Zimmer. <laughs> <laughs> there's, a, there's a big German population. In Topeka. <laughs> it's right down the street from Secretly the Future. <laughs> <laughs> Where they all wear bonnets and nothing else. <laughs> um, Hans Zimmer's music is uh, his scores are so recognizable, and but he just can't wait to be king. Zach. I know, and that that actually blew my mind. I didn't realize he did Lion King until uh, That's like the two only months thing ago. I know that he's done. Uh, well, have you watched Inception? Because uh, he's he's the guy that film. started the bombs. Kind of yeah. is in oh, Inception. He started the bombs. Yeah. Do we he, have an adult tag yet? He did. Uh, no. He did all the Batman him. movies. I'm pretty sure he did Man of Steel. Pretty much anything Christopher oh. Nolan does, Hans Zimmer is attached to. And in fact, oh. um, many of you might be aware the History Channel did a Bible minisode. And yeah. I was watching a clip of this and I was like, I'm pretty sure Moses is supposed to be Batman in this clip. Because this sounds like Hans Zimmer. Mm-hmm. I looked it up. Yeah, Hans Zimmer did it. You see a lot of uh, you see a lot of composers that way. I, that's why I said John John Williams yeah. is that way. Danny Elfman, Matthew just mentioned, is that way too. Where you just know their music. Yeah. Well, and, and, and Hans Zimmer's a lot of drums. To their, I, I suppose, 
to to their defense when they're like score this movie right, you know, right. they're going to fall back on certain techniques mm-hmm. you know that's true. like that's and, that's a lot of music to and write of course, Hans yeah. Zimmer did and there's like probably, all the superhero I mean, movies there's so, probably yeah. a hey can you do a very Hans Zimmer kind of trap oh absolutely we want you can you do more inception for us can you right, inception right. our movie yeah. up I mean, it's probably that too Anytime they try to deviate away from that, people are like, oh, no, 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 no. We want, I don't know, right. the Dark Knight or whatever. Right, right. And then the hipsters are like, he was so much cooler back in the Lion King days. The, the, <laughs> the funny thing is, is that I just I just looked him up real quick. Um, and then it's like, it talks about the film scores. And one is like the Lion King and then Crimson Tide. But the way that it's like separated, I thought I read King Crimson. And I was like, <laughs> he was in King oh. Crimson? <laughs> nice. <laughs> He was actually the schizoid man. Yeah. That's how he went back and forth from Batman to the Lion King. What do you guys have on your uh, your also rans list? Anything? Um, I I didn't no. have any people because I felt like it would be too mean, but trailers that tell me too much. Yeah. yeah. I thought mm-hmm. one of you guys would hit that trailers where it's like here are the five good jokes in the movie or Trailers that are like, okay, here's the bit that you you are supposed to wait and Shyamalan up at the end. Right. You know, uh, for me, I think like I kind of hate vehicles, mm. like not not just cars and movies. Yeah, I mean, yeah. like where it's like, <laughs> okay, we need an Affleck vehicle a or a Reese oh, Witherspoon yeah. vehicle or a yeah. you know Bruce uh, Willis vehicle. Like I, yeah. I I'm really tired of seeing yeah. the same actors over and over and over again and. Just to put in my my thing here, which I kind of already did, is like that's actually part of the reason, or like part of the that inertia that we always end up with these like white male actors is like they get right. on top of things, and then obviously they sell because they're in the major movies. So then it becomes about getting them back into more movies mm-hmm. to sell, so the people that are on top of the movie industry just keep making more movies, whereas people that are trying to climb up don't. Right, yeah. and that that ties into another one of my also rans. Um, there, there's a concept we call the whitewashing of a character or an actor. Yeah, where it's not uh, a Caucasian character, and it's kind of related to my my age related thing. You know, where it's 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 hard because I love Samuel L. Jackson as Nick Fury, and that's technically the same thing that we're talking about. But I hate it when you have one of those rare characters who in the original source material was not, you know, played by, I don't know, Ben Affleck. You know, it it seems like the same thing, but it actually isn't. It's an entirely different problem that feels the uh, the same issue. It pushes the same buttons. Yeah, it I it guess to some yeah, degree. It it creates it's like it's it's a different way of accomplishing the same thing, which is to justify, mm-hmm. you know, your super white movie. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. And my, my last also ran, and this is something that drives me nuts as a fan of movies like Zardoz and uh, just terrible films. I maintain to this day that the black hole is a better experience than uh, Star Wars. But I hate it when people go out of their way to try and create a cult movie, a weird ass uh, movie yeah. that it's okay. We're going to, we're going to appeal to that night, you know, that college nighttime stoner vibe. And we're going to make a movie. That's the next Showgirls, without understanding that Showgirls was supposed to be a big dramatic debut for Jesse from saved by the bell. Mm. You know, it, they, they put so much work into trying to recreate 
the accidental awfulness of things that were accidentally awful. Yeah. Zach, do you have anything? I had some, um, but it slipped my mind. Maybe in the future we'll do another five. Mine, mine was uh, kind of like lens flares in movies, but lens flares in places that don't make any sense, like uh, titles of movies tend yeah. to have a lot of lens flares <laughs> lately. And uh, actually, I just... One of my roommate, one of my roommates put the Man of Steel poster up in our living room today, and I noticed there's a lens flare like on the poster. Yeah, yeah, yeah. it's like that doesn't I mean, that's weird, but I guess it makes sense because it's like Man of Steel and stuff. Up until recently, and this has changed, and then just kind of come back very recently, but it, it went away for a while. Something that would have been on this list for me is Cooper played Gothic because mm. for a oh, while oh. that font was on every movie since Independence no. Day. I think that font yeah. like just ruled the late '90s and early 2000s, and probably well yeah. into the 2010s. Yeah, definitely agree with you on that one. All right, everybody, you've heard our top fives. Now it's time for you to head over to Majorspoilers.com in the show notes for this episode. You guys have been doing a fantastic job, a fantastic job. We want you to share your top five things that you would no longer, or techniques, uh, top five things in filmmaking, that's the title of this episode, that you would like to see go away or reduced. Show your work. Don't just list them. Some of you are still just listing without explaining. Please explain your answers, because otherwise we will ridicule you. I think that could be the platinum thing, is we will come to your house and make you explain your answers. (laughs) (laughs) And, and, And maybe cook me a steak. There you go. That'll be your punishment. Cook Matthew a steak for not showing your answers. Mm. All I right. Like steak too. That is it for this episode. Um, thank you so much for downloading. Thank you so much for sharing. And uh, come in next time when we've got another top five. Because remember, everybody loves a list. Devil Elevator rocks. If you have any questions, comments, topic ideas for future shows, or would like to sponsor a show, send an email to podcast at majorspoilers.com. Visit Major Spoilers at Majorspoilers.com and be sure to check out the Major Spoilers Forum. You can also follow Major Spoilers on Twitter at twitter.com slash Majorspoilers. Join us today during the Jeep Celebration event. Right now, get 20% below MSRP for an average of 15178 under MSRP on the purchase of a 2023 Jeep Grand Cherokee Overland 4xe or Summit 4xe. Not compatible with lease offers or with any other consumer incentive set of offers. 15178 average based on 20% below average MSRP from all 2023 Grand Cherokee Overland 4xe and Summit 4xe models and dealer stock. Residency restrictions apply. Take retail delivery from dealer stock by 4-1. Jeep is a registered trademark. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform, with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply.